You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. I'm Michael Pincus, the grape guy from michaelpincuswinereview.com. Today with my co-host, Andre. Pru from andrewinereview.ca. And today we got a very special podcast for you. We are talking to Elizabeth Grant Douglas. Did I get that right, Andre? You did get that right. She wow. is the winemaker at California slash Oregon winery La Crema. Yes, and uh, we seem to see a lot of that stuff uh, here in Ontario through vintages, of course. Uh, I don't think it comes to the generalist. And um, I know just from my own notes there, it's probably the first Pinot Noir that I've tasted from California that doesn't taste like California Pinot Noir, so I loved it. Speaking of firsts, it's our first winemaker outside of Ontario, but... Our winemaker is Canadian. Yes, she has an Ontario connection. And I do find that interesting that we're talking to a Canadian working abroad because it just goes back to uh, our conversation with Donald Zeraldo, where to paraphrase, he basically said that for Canadian wine to be loved, it needs to be loved abroad before it will be loved at home. So it's uh, good to see Canadian winemakers working elsewhere. I think that's true about anything Canadian, sadly. Anyway, here she is, Elizabeth Grant Douglas. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? Excellent, excellent. I'm Michael, talking to you today. Thank you. I'm Michael Pincus of Michael Pincus Wine Review. With me is uh, Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. And uh, we're going to be talking to Elizabeth Grant Douglas uh, of La Crema of both California and Oregon. How long have you guys been in Oregon? I'd like to start that one off. Oh, um, actually, we started there in 2012. That was that was quite an adventure. We uh, were really excited about that vintage, and for the longest time we held off thinking, you know, Let's wait till next year, but we were just too seduced by all the great buzz about how how that one was turning out. So we, at the last minute, we we plunged in. We we just had to get involved. So that was that was pretty amazing. And and you know, and what? it turned out to be gorgeous too. I, I, what I, what we should do is actually just have you give us a little brief synopsis of who you are, so that people know who we're talking to. Uh sure, absolutely. Um, I'm the director of winemaking at La Crema Wines. I've been there since 2001. Of course, I didn't start out as the doctor of winemaking. I was their enologist working the night shift for a few years doing harvest. Sounds like radio. And I'm origi- Pardon? Sounds, Sounds like, like radio. radio, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I'm actually originally from Niagara. I was one of the first members of the graduating class from Covey and uh, worked my way west and found my, uh, looks like my forever home in 2001 here at La Crema. So where did you get your start? So you said you, you, you were at Cubby, and so where did you get your, your, did you do other wineries besides La Crema? Oh, sure, absolutely. Actually, my first, um, my first job in the wine business was at Inniskillen. So I worked in their tasting room when I was going through school, eventually out on the crush pad and in the cellar and out in the vineyards. They taught me how to drive a tractor and, uh, you know, move wine around, and I really felt like I cut my teeth there. But uh, I did spend some time at um, Shadow de Charmes in their research department and um, a summer at Henry Pelham and uh, also at 13th Street. That's actually interesting because we just recently had a chance to speak with uh, Paul Bosk Sr. Uh, what was it like working with him? I was actually in more of the research side of things, so okay. I didn't get to work very closely with him. I was more with John Peroshi out there in the fields working on uh, winter hardiness studies, as, as I recall. An awful lot of, uh, a lot of time outdoors in the winter. Is that Checking on my reasons? winter hardiness as well. Is that one of the reasons why you moved to California? <laughs> some people have seen some of the photos and wondered if it was either that or the ice wine that led me to palm trees, but uh, it was actually a pretty neat experience. Now, you, you got your, uh, your educational start and your career start working in Ontario, which is obviously a much cooler climate than, than California. Uh, as a winemaker, is it hard to make a, a shift going from a, a region like Ontario down to California? Well, actually, I have um, the Cool Climate Enology and Viticulture Institute um, to thank for getting me my interview at La Crema. They were, they were literally looking for someone with cool climate winemaking experience, and they figured... Hey, it's right, right there in the name, right there on the top of the resume. Yeah. Plus, they figure it doesn't get much cooler than Canada, so they had to at least talk to me. And um, it, uh, it did turn out actually to be a good fit because we're in a cooler part of California and we're dealing with cooler climate varietals, more of the early ripeners. So acidity well, is really important and balance is really important. So the mentality is still the same. 
Yeah, I find that really, um, I, I, I mean, it's almost a question that didn't need to be asked, because the first bottle of Le Cremo Pinot Noir that was uh, sent to me, um, I'm usually a little hesitant with California Pinot Noir. I was in California last summer, and I, I do understand it, and I get that there's something going on there. And the people down there are just so proud of these wines, but it's just, they're usually big fruit bomb, you know, over-extracted jam messes. And, you know, they, they miss a little bit of acidity, but that first bottle of the crema that I had, you know, the eyebrows went up, and it's just like, this tastes like cool climate winemaking. Yeah, you can go a lot of different directions with California wines, and it's just a matter of finding finding a winery or winemaker where, you know, their style matches yours. Yes. So, speaking, so much versatility, really. Speaking of your wines, we actually have uh, four bottles here, and, and throughout the course of this interview, we're going to be opening some wines and have you talk a little bit about them. So you know the four wines that we have here. Which one would you suggest that we start off with? I would think the Monterey Chardonnay. All right. That would be a good one to get started with. All right, so I'm going to pop the cork. I pre-opened them, I have to be honest with you. I was going to say, nice sound effect right there. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to pour that one, and uh, mm -hmm. if you want to talk a little bit about it, it is the 2014. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that was, that was another... Um, really good vintage for us although i have to admit uh, working in california i've gotten pretty spoiled the vintages here are you know, fairly consistent um but compared to a lot of parts of the world but uh the reason i would have you start with the Monterey is that one is just a little bit a uh, little bit more i would say more subtle um, than the sonoma coast it has more of that mineral quality to it there's hints of you know, the tropical fruit and things like that that you get from the Central Coast region. But I just find it's very nicely integrated. And, the and you've always got that feeling of, uh, of being in a very, very cool climate with those yeah. winds picking up every afternoon. I was actually in Monterey. It's probably the only part of California I was in. And I'm always impressed with Monterey wines. Uh, I like yeah, the, love the acidity. Yeah, it's a very unique area, isn't it? It is, and it's very cool climate, too. And they're, they're, Anybody you talk to says, we are real cool climate California, not not like those other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't get too competitive about it, but, yeah, they they definitely have a, you know, they have those winds that pick up every afternoon. And, I mean, we're talking serious winds. You're, you're putting your layers back on again. But um, it does give this really, really lovely, you know, lightness of it. It uh, ends up being, mm, there's, just, there's just a very pretty airy element to it. There, they, it yeah, I think that kind of hits the nail on the head, because it's definitely California Chardonnay. It's got the tropical notes, but it's the got way the, it it's finishes, also it's, got that richness. It's got the vanilla. Yeah. It's got the buttery. It's definitely California. It's a walking, it's a walking contradiction that it, it hits so hard on the palate, but leaves light on its feet. I just, I could drink Cal this, this Chardonnay probably all day if I could. There's almost a, uh, just a hint of uh, bitterness on the finish, which I think helps carry this wine because that tropical fruit really, you know, comes through on the nose and on the palate. And that's that little hint of bitterness that just, I think, balances this out. Yeah, I think it's important to have a little bit of structure to them and something that actually carries through. So uh, uh, this wine in particular for me, it just requires a very, very delicate touch in the winery. You don't want to be using too much, too much oak, too much new oak, and you want um, you want sort of the the malolactic impression to be softer, more more creamy, as opposed to you know movie theater butter, for sure. Movie theater butter. Mm. <laughs> you know, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, yes, we know I exactly do. what you mean. Uh, now I just want popcorn, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I wrecked it. Oh, all done. So uh, obviously, uh, Covey was very important to your to your growth and development. Uh, do you oh know, yeah. Do you do you know much now? So how long has it been since you've been in Niagara? I should ask that again. Two thousand one, correct? Is when you went down there? Uh, yeah. Two thousand is when I um, the harvest of two thousand. My husband and I moved to um, Eastern Washington just for a harvest, and then directly after that, we we came to California. So fifteen years. Do you get do you get back here very often? Oh, at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. Um, not as often as I'd like, but you know how it is with vacation and all that, you know, how many weeks you get a year. Um, I was actually just back there in August for and, a family wedding. And where do you so. call home? It's, is it Niagara or is it elsewhere in Ontario? Um, it's, it's Niagara. Oh, That's it where both sides of the family are. So Excellent. It's, uh, 
a good central spot. And uh, I guess, you know, do you get a chance to visit any of the wineries when you're home, or is it just not something that, you know, is, is on the agenda? Oh, a little bit of that. Never as much as I'd like, of course, but, uh, you know, there's a, there's a few places. I always have to make sure I bring a case of, um, of Niagara Riesling back with me. Absolutely crucial. It's something I can't get here, um, and it's a style that isn't, I mean, just isn't available. So. Now we should put her on the spot and ask her which Niagara Rieslings she prefers. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I admit I'm still going to the same classics that I loved back when I was, no, no, um, that's fine the when I was a student. Are. So, I mean, Cave Springs is my absolute favorite. Um, I love Vineland. Um, I just, those styles, they're very different, but they just really resonate with me, and they just, they taste like home to me. Well, that's great value, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, even, even, even not having to uh, use Canadian dollars... Uh, I mean, your paycheck's going a little farther than ours these days. There's still great value, so it's a bit of a steal for you to take those home with you. Oh, absolutely. If I could take more than a case, I would. Um, it's, uh, and, and actually, they're, they're all gone now. Um, <laughs> summer's over, the case is gone. So over, Hopefully over my parents years, will bring some when they come. Over the years, have you noticed uh, any, any change in the style, any change in the, uh, the uh, terroir that we, we have, uh, or the winemaking, or... Is it, is it pretty much still um, the same that you remember? Well, a lot of things, I mean, part of it is trying to calibrate myself whenever I go home because my palate changes um, with what I'm exposed to on a daily basis. So, um, honestly, I think I've probably noticed more different types of wines being made. I mean, I was really excited to see how much sparkling wine is made there now. That was, that was really key to me. Um, and I think... I think maybe things are in a slightly rougher style than they used to be, but um, again, I get exposed to it not nearly as much as I'd like. Got it. Yeah, the sparkling wine is a real boom uh, here in Ontario, and I, I think it's a great, it really is a great thing. Is it something you're oh, looking yeah. at, at making? Oh, um, we've actually just started making a little bit of sparkling wine oh, here at La Crema. Uh, awesome. Nothing out in the market yet, but I've been dying to make some sparkling wine for years. I could imagine. Ever since, ever since working at uh, 13th Street back in the day, they'd have their, their bottling parties. I mean, that was, that was the height of cool as a student. Well, yeah. and, and you certainly have the right varietals to, to, work, to work with. Yeah, exactly, exactly. For years, it was like, how many tons of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir do you bring through here, and we don't sparkle any of it? Come well, on. What, what would the biggest challenge be with uh, with making making sparkling at like La Crema? Do you think, like, even with a, I guess a cooler like cooler growing regions that you have to work with, would you still have to worry about uh, things ripening too early? Or, um, I think if you got a heat spike in the wrong time, you might miss your window. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, though. Uh, we're pretty lucky, and we have quite a diversity of different vineyards to source from. So there's a, you know, if we missed one, we could possibly, if we needed to, make up in another area or, you know, different clones, especially Chardonnay, ripen at different times. So you've, you've got options, definitely. How many different clones do you have on the uh, properties? Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's well over a dozen different clones of Pinot Noir. Um, Chardonnay is a little bit less diverse, at least half a dozen. Uh, like clone four would be the one that I tend to go for with um, sparkling, just because it really retains its acidity and ripens a little later. So that has to be the nerdiest sense. question you've been asked by a wine writer in a in a while. <laughs> it's a good question. I was <laughs> thinking like, yeah, yeah, that definitely that one. Well, the reason, but, I, the reason uh, I it's ask, something you have to think about. The reason I ask is because uh, I see from California every so often on a bottle, and and I'll, I'll be quite frank with you, I am not a huge fan of Chardonnay. Um, but so, or so he says until you read his website and see the number of Chardonnays that get high scores from him. But that's another topic for another day. It's because I know what I like in the Chardonnay. <laughs> but, um, but I always see Dijon clone. Uh, and I yes. seem to kind of gravitate towards the Dijon clone from California. Mm-hmm. Do you work with that clone? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of it's a collection of, of clones. And that one can be... That particular collection can be very nice. It has, um, or tends to have, making huge broad sweeping generalizations here, it tends to have more of the um, stone fruit qualities to it. It's a little bit lower acidity, a little bit richer um, compared to, say, the Clone 4, which is more more citrus. It's a bigger berry, bigger cluster, more acid. Now, it's also also what they're really starting to move towards in in Oregon as well. I know I was just in, in Oregon and people are... They had California clones planted ahead of time, and now they're moving towards the uh, the Dijon clones. So I think it might be, I don't know, maybe you get a, the right mutation, it'll no longer be Dijon, and it'll be American. 
I think that there's a lo- still a lot of different um, uh, potential, you know, different clones, things that people are finding in their vineyards, finding that um, could potentially work for their site. It, it's all trial and error, and that's the hard part because you plant a vine, you're not getting any fruit for four or five years, and you're not really getting the best of the vine for ten. So that's that's a long time to be waiting for an answer. That is a long time to be waiting for an and, answer. And do you segregate the Dijon clone or the clones as you as you make them and then, you know, bring them all back together as in the blend or... Oh, yeah. Uh, have, mm-hmm. have yeah, that's had... absolutely part of it. Um, in oh. a vineyard um, that's complicated, like Sarah Lee's, that has you know, 200 acres to it, um, we'll keep all the clones separate and we'll ferment them separately. Oh. And we'll, they'll stay separate right up until when we bottle. Oh. We'll have tried different um, different blends, different percentages of each, and see what really you know, hits the mark, what's balanced. And then we'll, then we'll move them together. But you don't know what you've got if you blend too early. Um, my glass is empty right now, Michael. Oh, sorry. So uh, I'm going to. Uh oh. I'm. I'm <laughs> And I understand Elizabeth isn't drinking at all. So. Yes, but she's in the middle I'm of a. I'm afraid. So yeah. I, I know yeah, this is this I, is likely going to be <laughs> this is likely going to be released uh, after harvest is is finished. But uh, we can say that this is being recorded right in the middle of of harvest in California. But I can't. Yep. I can't. Pretty much she, dead center. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe she's uh, talking to us sober. Yeah. Which many people don't. And by the way, we, we do so? we do appreciate the time. I know that this is um, the crazy time of year for for winemakers. Well, I'll do my best to be coherent. So, uh, well, you can be coherent. It's us who may not be. There we go. Popping another one. I'm going to do the uh, Sonoma Coast, unless you think we should go Pinot first. No, no, no. Sonoma Coast is the next one for sure. Okay. And uh, I'm going to wait for you to actually try it before I start throwing a whole bunch of descriptors at you. That makes me crazy when someone's yelling out words, and I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, I taste that. Because um, humans, the human brain is suggestible. So you're not going to yell but at the it, word. It does, but it does tend to be um, quite dramatically different, I think, than the Monterey. You're it's, not going to yell at the word banana, and I will go, "Oh yeah, there it is." <laughs> it's, don't you it's, hate that? It's wearing a it's wearing a heavy cloak compared to the the Monterey. It's definitely much heavier on the nose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it is a richer wine. No, you can definitely smell it as a as a richer wine. Your there's a big smile on Andre's face. Suddenly. Yeah, but I mean, this is my jam. Like, <laughs> I, I I just I love California Chardonnay so much. I don't. I don't care where it's from. It's just like the the ripeness that you get. It's it's peaches, almost a little bit of, of bruised peach, like mm-hmm. when it's so mm-hmm. ripe that it, you have to be so careful with cutting it because it's gonna make a mess everywhere with all the juice from it. Yeah, Sonoma Coast is such a beautiful place to to grow grapes. I have to say. And again, a lot of diversity because you can be right up, you know, you can practically see the ocean from some of our vineyards. You can certainly smell it and feel it. Um, or you can be quite a bit inland in the Russian River portion of the Sonoma Coast where it's just the fog that comes in and visits at night and cools things down. So to me, as my non-Chardonnay person comes out, <laughs> uh, to me, uh, I would drink this one uh, without hesitation, but having tried the Monterey first, that's mm-hmm. the one that I would lean towards. I like that delicacy. I like that tropicalness. I like that that bit of bitterness. This one is definitely heavier, weightier, almost creamier to a yep. to a point. Um, yeah, that's it's got it's got like the the it's got vanilla, but it, it weighs so heavily on the back of the palate that it leans more to like it's almost like Werther's Originals that that butterscotch and then the creaminess kind of lingers, but it does have some nice acidity to it. I mean, to really compare the two, the uh, the Monterey is one that I would be very happy, and uh, I hope this doesn't insult any any of the wine the wine making skills here, but it's a fried chicken wine for me, just. Something like fried that. Fried chicken wine. Come on, let's get let's get the oily texture with with the fried chicken, but that acid is nice and light and will cut right through the salt and the fat. It's just like now I want popcorn and fried chicken. Like my dinner is not going to be good. Whereas the Sonoma, <laughs> the Sonoma, for me, the Sonoma would be dessert. I mean, I wouldn't want to pair that with food. It's it's big and heavy, and it, it it'll be a little bit tougher to pair with the right food. Like, I mean, creamy pasta if I have to. But why would I want to sully the wine with any food pairing? Just drink it on its own. All right, Elizabeth, what's your take on the wine? Yeah, well, I uh, I think you're you're right on the money. Um, the idea between these two wines is 
sort of letting the Appalachian speak. There's not a lot of, there's not huge differences in the way the wines are made. The idea is just, you know, handle the grapes respectfully. Don't, um, you know, don't press them until the pips squeak so that you get uh, the most number of gallons um, per ton. You, you want to be very, very gentle and not bring out anything that's too astringent, too harsh that you might have to remove or, you know, cover up later. Um, instead, you know, just give them, give the most gentle handle possible put them into the oak, leave them there except for stirring every three or four weeks and just let them let them age and then look at um, all of your pieces for your puzzle and put them together in a way that gives you lots of layers and complexity. Yeah. Um, but the Sonoma Coast, you, you, as you picked up, it just has more of that density, more of that concentration. It's, it's the nature of the region. Now, how many cases of wine uh, are made at La Crema? Ah, the question. <laughs> I actually never answer that question. Okay, well... No, I just I am. Um, <laughs> I, I never People, that people always think that uh, that if you make more than ten thousand cases, you can't possibly be paying enough attention, and so I uh, I I never give out that number. Oh really? Okay. Oh, so it's but, so it's a it's a trade secret. I guess so. Okay. Yeah. I'll tell you how old I am, but I'll never tell you how many cases of wine we make. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. We'll just have to. We'll just have to guess. Is How it, many cases of wine does the LCBO? Can we? Can we? Uh, can we secretly get that off the air, and then we can put like a little uh, "How many jelly beans is in the jar?" question out. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and, the, and the person who gets it right or closest to wins a bottle or something. <laughs> Maybe you can do the LCBO one. That one I can find out for you. Oh. <laughs> actually, actually, to be perfectly honest, I do appreciate the the answer to the question because. Uh, I think you do have an, an issue where when you reach a certain level of, of production, I mean, it's hard to be considered. I mean, you're seeing it with microbreweries now, right? Mm. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a real backlash against the, the big boys because as soon as you start making beer on a large scale, how good can it be? But, I mean, we are seeing kind of a, a turnaround for that. Like, some large large companies have purchased some very good microbrews and the quality of the product has remained consistent. In Ontario, we have Cremor, and I know in the States, you have uh, Goose Island. No, Goose Island, I think, is, you know, they were bought out by Anheuser-Busch, and I think their their beer is still still good. No. Just, just means wider distribution. That's really all it meant for them. Yeah. Like, for me, I'm just excited that we make enough that it gets to Canada. My, my relatives can get a hold of it. And they Couldn't say, do that if we made two two hundred cases. So. And they say we've got Elizabeth right here. It's right, she's right here in front of us. Well, and your wines are really well well priced here. I mean, I fit into the age category where uh, I just tell people I'm a broke ass millennial. Uh, <laughs> I work in radio. My girlfriend is a chef, so when we have money, we spend it on wine and food. Uh, you know, the the Ridge Zinfandels when they make it up here are some of my favorite wines, but they push north of sixty bucks, and that's yeah. too much mm -hmm. money for me to to spend on a bottle of wine regularly. Where the La Crema wines fall right between high 20s, mid $30. There never has been anything that's outlandishly expensive. But like I said, for you know a bottle of the Sonoma where that's going to be my dessert on a Friday night, I don't mind spending 30 bucks for Andre, that. Andre, I'm older than you are, and I still don't pay $60. My <laughs> wife would kill me if I brought a bottle of $60 wine. I was at a tasting earlier today, and we saw a $400 bottle of wine. And I said my wife would definitely kill me if I brought home a $400 bottle of wine. I had to be talked out of buying the Montebello three times last year. I was really close to spending the 180 bucks. Elizabeth, I'm going to ask you, what's your uh, your crest for buying wine? Like, what's that, you know, that limit where you're like, you know, the husband's going to kill me if I buy a X number. Mm, yeah, I mean, for unless we're talking about an anniversary or a special occasion, yeah, I mean, bottle. we're talking for a regular weeknight, I'm falling in that 20, 30 range. Yeah. I mean... It's just, um, I don't think anyone gets into the wine business to make their fortune. <laughs> no, no, but you do it to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all in it for the love, right? That's right. So, uh, Elizabeth, I, I do have some um, a question for you. You've now been in, in California, and you've, uh, I, I know that you guys have had some rain this year, but is the drought over? Um, it depends on who you ask. I, I know that... Um, Right now, in terms of wine growing, we're feeling very fortunate. Our, our ponds are, are we're full at the beginning of the season. I haven't had anyone complain to me about um, not having enough water to get through the season. Um, you know, I don't want to say the drought is over, but I, I think last winter helped a lot. It really did. Yeah, because I know last year, just taking a look at some vineyards, people were very happy with the quality of fruit, but the vines were definitely showing. There were some mm. very loose clusters of, of, of grapes with very tiny berries, so I know mm -hmm. there's going to be some very good wine from, from 14, and wait, last year was 15. 
right? Yeah, yeah a smaller, a more concentrated <laughs> vintage. And yeah, a lot of us, we couldn't quite, we were not sure what to attribute to, you know, that third year of the drought or to the fact that we'd had three really good bountiful years and maybe, maybe the vines were just um, needing a break. So did the vines get, I know you said that the ponds were full in the spring, did the vines get their break this year? Um, yeah, I think that um, we're much more close to an average um, crop load this year than we were in 15, which Fantastic. is good news. Two short years in a row is tough. Now, I'm going I'm to get slightly off talk. I'm a little nervous here because Andre and I usually aren't in the same room when we podcast. <laughs> we're, I'm usually in St. Catharines because that's where I live, and Andre's here in Toronto. But he's got a lighter in his hands, and it's making me a little nervous. I'm not sure <laughs> what, he's, what he's about to do with it. So. I like to fidget. It was just on the desk. I'm, I'm going to switch to a pen now. That's what I'll do. Okay, so I'm, I'm just I'm wondering what he's about to light. <laughs> okay, Michael, my glass is empty again. Oh, all right. So I guess we have to go to Elizabeth. Which, uh, which Pinot, which pinot should we start with? Oh, I, I would start again with the Monterey. Monterey. Again, just in terms of sort of concentration and style, I think the Monterey is a nice one to begin with. Here we go. Ready? Did you want a lot? sensitive microphone. Did you want a lot of that, or did you want just the same no, amount I've been giving good. you? Okay. I think I'm going to go back to Chardonnay shortly. I, I'll have that Monterey if you're not doing anything with it. No, I, I'm okay with the Monterey, too. Okay. All right. Well, you can have dessert. I'll just continue on with the Monterey Chard. Uh, Elizabeth, I can say without needing to kiss your butt at all, that you have made the first Pinot, California Pinot Noir that I've loved. And that would give him the longest lips in history, but go on. <laughs> wow, that's, that's, a, that's high praise. That is high praise. I, I, would, I would happily recommend this to, to anyone looking for a good, balanced California Chardonnay. Yeah, we got nice, well, or sorry, we got Pinot nice Noir, Pinot Noir. I'm already mixing it up. I said Chardonnay. <laughs> The red color should give it away, but yep, uh, okay. what the heck, eh? Nice, uh, nice uh, color to it. Uh, that nose is, is floral. I just I love it when it's got like it's violet, but it's yep. so violet, like it's Definitely almost a like violet, a little bit of earthiness, but it's not over that top mare type of crappy smell that uh, I think Elizabeth would uh, understand if I tell you that Niagara kind of smell in the air on. Uh, on some of those hot days, you, know, you can you smell say, the farms. If you say shit in French, it doesn't make it any classier. Like no, merde means merde the same sounds thing. so much better, doesn't it? Mel. It's like it's like when you say your Riesling smells like petrol, and you just you're too ashamed to say gasoline. Much classier though. I, was, what, I thought we had lost a little bit. She was like, "Okay, I'm hanging up now because they're obviously <laughs> Sorry, talking yeah, to this, each other." This, this is just how our podcast usually works, where we just, we, anyways. So that, yeah, that, no, it sounds good. It sounds good. I, I uh, you've had a, a chance to sort of uh, make your impression of that particular well, wine, I though, before I start I have, hitting you with. Well, I haven't tasted it yet. I'm just smelling oh, it. It's okay. so pretty. It's just, as Andre said, it's got that violet, but it's got that slight earthiness, and there's that that cran cherry, but it's. But like it's 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 interesting because it's almost like it's trying to grip your palate, like, you know that stereotype that you're expecting of California California Pinot in your head, where it's kind of big, heavy, and just covers the palate but it's just like the acid refuses to let it sit like it's almost ephemeral the way that that feeling hits the mid palate and rolls off it's like it's it's california but it's got that acid like it's as well it's a lovely it's a lovely mouthfeel yes but the acidity does kind of swing in right there at the end helping to to clear it out because it does have that hot weightiness but i mean that that rich fruity juiciness that's there yeah, we really, really want these wines to not alone, not only you know get along and complement food, but they have to be able to be enjoyed just on their own. I, I I would be a little bit heartbroken if someone ever picked up one of our wines and said, "Well, this is lovely, but I need a steak. Like the tannins are too much. I need something to tame this." Or maybe if I let it lay down for five or ten years, um, they really have to be a little more friendly than that. And balance, and again, gentle handling are the key to that for us. Yeah, now, now we're just, the way the way this Pinot Noir stacks up, like obviously we're restricted to what we get in Ontario, but is this pretty typical of other wineries in in the region, or is this uh, a little bit of a cooler style than what what we're used to seeing from where you're from? I guess we're um, I, well, that's the thing is, I th I think there is such um, a diversity of styles here. I mean, you can do, Are with your pick decision and the way you handle it, you can get everything from something even more light than that 
even, you know, sort of lower ripeness to something that's a big, uh, sort of a big jammy monster with high alcohol. There's and everything in the middle. Well, it's it's the really alcohol. just a matter of style. I, w- I was, I was going to ask Andre to, to clarify that a little bit, because uh, did he mean Monterey or did he mean uh, California? Because, yeah, for, throughout the, the state, you know, you get all those, you get the jammy ones versus the, but I think Monterey, when I visited, I was very impressed with the, uh, with the Pinots. From there. Yeah, I mean they have a they have a certain style in Monterey, um, and again it comes from from the terroir, um, that wind, uh, the soils there, where things tend to be a little bit more minerally, a little more earthy. Um, some folks say it's just a little bit more of a European, um, more savory style, and okay. I would agree. We get that um, note. Yeah. From those particular, you know, from those vineyards, than much you might get in say the Russian River or the Sonoma Coast, where it's more fruit and spice. Yeah, this one's got a nice herbal. Nope. I did a video uh, of your uh, Los Carneros Pinot, which I thought was absolutely gorgeous. We're not trying I that saw tonight, that. but it was just so lovely. So yeah, there's uh, we uh, we're really lucky that we get to make individual wines from different different regions, so we can show what 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 our style looks like translated through different uh, you know just through different lenses, really. Because Carneros again, that's even more dark and earthy, and um, a lot of density to that one. Those like, heavy clay soils. I just like the layers of that wine. That was really good. I know we're not trying that tonight, but if anybody can put their hands on that one, that one is just layer upon layer upon layer of of just deliciousness. What do you call it? I can't remember what your big term is that you always use. The bomb. The bomb. The oh bomb. yeah. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that's 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 my real technical fancy tasting note. Is yeah. when a wine is the bomb. Yeah. Nice, now, I like it. How many um, how many different uh, appellations or, or versions of uh, Pinot and Chardonnay do you make? It uh, it actually varies from year to year, and there's a lot of them that unfortunately never make it, um, even outside of California, very far. Uh, I think we add, added it up. We made nine different Pinot Noirs last year. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So we'll do. We'll even do some single vineyards now. So ready? We started. Here's the test. Name them. <laughs> Well, let's get started from the top. Okay, we get the Sonoma Coast and the Monterey, the Russian River, Anderson Valley, Los Carneros, Nine Barrel. We'll ignore Willamette for now because we've also got some small, um, some small ones from there. Uh, we also have our Fog Vale. We have our Open Gate, um, Sarah Lee's, of course, um, and I think there must be one more. No, nope, that is actually nine. nine. You get to keep your job. There we go. Yay, I can count. It's September 19th, and I can still count. That's excellent. Yeah, somebody gets to keep their job for another year. Because <laughs> she, she can name the wines they make. That's good. That's better than some uh, winemakers here. They just know they get made. and, and that, Do you know the prices of all of them? Don't, you, don't have to give, you don't have to give me them, but I've always noticed that winemakers have no idea what the price of their wines are. We're actually really bad at that, aren't we? We'll, we'll tell you the pH, but can we remember Yeah, what? it's the funniest <laughs> thing. It's like, how much is that? And they're always looking for somebody. And then they find they're out like, and you go, I put my heart and soul into that wine, and you're selling it for that price? Really? <laughs> well, that I'm hurt actually, puppy I'm dog look, curious, right? <laughs> I, I'm actually curious. What, let, let's, just, let's just take kind of a, a baseline here. What, what would the Monterey Chardonnay cost at the winery should I go down to visit? Uh, I think that one usually is about $24. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. That's a good price. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't remember what it was here, but it wasn't that far off, wasn't it? Yeah, remember what it was here? In the round, I think 29 or maybe yeah, a little bit north of yeah. that. Wasn't that far off. I so. mean, here it's, here it's a little tricky because it's sold in so many different places, different stores. and it's. Uh, I, I still can't, can't quite get used to seeing, you know, the grocery circular with our wines on sale. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, don't get us started on that. Yeah. I mean. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Well, they're starting to talk about it, and it's going to be by Christmas. We're going to see some grocery stores. I think 50 are going to have it. But I doubt we're going to see wines in a flyer. I doubt we're going to see wines on sale. I mean, there's just... Because I mean, the LCBO is the LCBO, but that's a separate uh, yeah, a separate podcast for a separate the, time. The monopoly will continue to, to dictate prices, but that's just for your knowledge. Mm. Nobody else will know. Like it's not a podcast Inter- that goes out or anything. No, it's, it's interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. So... Now I'm seeing here on your on your bio, it's also talking about uh, Pinot Gris, oh, and that's something that we yes. haven't seen. We've been tasting a lot of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Tell yeah, me about well, your we, Gris. we we started doing that at any sort of volume at all back in 2012, 
And for us, we've been asked for a little while, could we make ourselves um, a tank fermented Chardonnay? just for a different style for folks who, you know, were going a different direction from oak. And for us, it just didn't seem like someone who grabbed a bottle of La Crema wouldn't be slightly shocked if they grabbed that by accident and went, this, is, this isn't their style. So we, we looked at it as being more something we would do with a different varietal. If we wanted something um, in that, you know, that bright, juicy, unoaked style, we would just go with another varietal entirely to avoid that element of, um, of confusion. And Pinot Gris makes sense. It's it's still in the family, right? Yeah. Just just a mutation of Pinot Noir. So. And uh, I I've actually had a lot of fun with that one. It's been a really interesting grape to work with. A little tougher than actually Chardonnay. That's interesting. Um, I, I guess I, I, I'm going to say it. I think Pinot Gris is the most boring grape variety in the world. So uh, Elizabeth, if you ever get us a bottle of that up here to try it, I'll uh, I'll give you my honest opinion about it. Oh, well, I will. I'll figure that one out. All right. So you're, you're the Pinot Gris that you're making, is it uh, from vineyards in California? Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, it's from Monterey, actually. So okay. you've got that, again, very, very cool climate. You know, the, the, the super cold, breezy afternoons. You keep the acidity. Um, you retain a little bit of that um, pretty stone fruit peachy quality to it. And you've still got that wet stone, wet slate. Um, you can make an interesting Pinot Gris. You just have to treat it with respect. <laughs> Oh, I, I believe you. It's Michael who will be the skeptic on that. I, I'm actually a little curious. Uh, is there any chance of, of uh, working with Pinot Gris from Oregon as well? Oh, I hope so. Excellent. I hope so. They do some beautiful Pinot Gris there. Do you have your own vineyards there, or are you contracted with, with growers and just kind of working on, on establishing those relationships? Um, we do have some contracts with growers, but our primary vineyards are estate vineyards that we picked up um, in 2013. Uh, 2012 was the year of exploration. In 2013, we purchased the Zena Crown Vineyards in Eola Amity and Grand Moraine in Yamhill Carlton. Just a couple of really beautiful spots. So I have kind of a two-part question, but I'll start with the first part. Uh, but obviously, before, before we do that, my, my glass is empty. and Yes, I know that, but uh, we're also hearing Henry in the background, as we usually do when we do a podcast at your place. And for, for the record, Henry is named after Henry of Pelham. Oh, no you. way. Yeah. So there you have it. <laughs> That's awesome. So you you admitted earlier uh, that there's going to be some sparkling wine coming. I'm going to ask, do mm-hmm. you have any Pinot Meunier that's going to be in that, or is it just... I don't have any Pinot Meunier. It's going to be 50-50 Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Got it. And uh, a rosé, because I like rosé. Oh, on a rosé. It's hard to go wrong mm-hmm. with pink bubbles. So is it is you're going to make a, a, a pink bubbles, or are you going to make a white bubble and a pink bubble? Um, it's going to be a pink bubble. Oh, it is. So just one kind. Just, okay. Just one. Yeah. So my next question comes this way: are there, Besides Pinot Gris, which we've understand you've got uh, got some, are there mm-hmm. any other grape varieties that you work with or grow that just never see the light of day? Uh, the one thing that nobody ever gets to see unless they come to a La Crema winemaker dinner is our late harvest Gewurz. Oh, there's some Gewurz. We only do about yeah, only do about fifty cases of that. I've got this little tiny corner block at Sara Lee's that uh, we let uh, let rot every other year so that we can get to those uh, concentrated flavors and the high bricks. But um, it's 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 kind of tricky making dessert wine in California, I got to say. I think, yeah, that's uh, like my mind is, is sort of sort of blown right now. Well, I think I, well, I'm kind of blown with the, that the uh, we let rot. Let's let's try a different term. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sorry. I'm being very frank here. No, botrytis. We have to. We literally have to try to get the botrytis to take hold in it. We let them rot. So and do you have? Here, a, you please, can't, we can't even have the option this. of freezing it. Please drink this. <laughs> it never gets cold enough for that. I, you know what? It is interesting. In in Oregon, I saw there's some winemakers experimenting with uh, liquid nitrogen. Thankfully, hmm. they, they at least they have enough scruples to not call it ice wine, but it's yeah. sort of their dedication and their uh, their inspiration is drawn from it but uh, mm. yeah I guess I'll have to make it down to California to taste that late harvest Gewurztraminer. So Gewurztraminer yeah. would be the only other grape that you you work with or they're in vineyards you're not selling off you know Cab Sauve because it's there or Cab Franc and thinking about yeah, I mean there, we work with a lot of different vineyards that have other things planted in them but um, we we only make I mean those four <laughs> varietals um, Chardonnay, Pinot, tiny bit of Gewürztraminer and uh, the Pinot Gris. Back, uh, back in the day when I first started, we were making a Viognier and a Syrah, but uh, we haven't made those oh, in a few Viognier years now. Oh, a Syrah, that would be kind of 
Now, so I, uh, I guess I'm, I'm going to continue on with it. Do you miss working with other grape varieties? I find that I've got enough of, variety. Yeah. I've got I've got a lot going on. <laughs> okay, yeah, because you got nine. Um, yeah, you nine and, different. You know, and and when you do things like add um, add a Monterey Pinot Gris, that's a whole new learning curve. And then that same year, we started Willamette Valley Pinot. That was an entirely new thing to learn and experience. And this year and last year, we were working with um, sparkling wine. So I, I always feel pretty challenged. I'm gonna say. All right, Andre said his glass is empty. He's drinking like a fish over here. I can't believe you, if you saw that half glass that I poured for him, you wouldn't think he'd, you know, move on, but. I come from Saskatchewan originally. We know how to drink. But we always I'm excited for you to try the Sonoma Coast. Let me know what you think. All right. I have been pouring him a, hef a hefty slug, so I'm, if he starts to slur, I'm sorry. It's it's blue. It smells like like it's almost like blueberries, like blueberry pie almost. I like it. Yeah, there is quite, there is quite a bit of blue fruit in there. And banana. Just kidding. Oh I'm no! Just don't do that. I, I just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want to see if anybody else would you know go with that? It's like blueberry. There's like licorice under that too. Just a touch. Licorice, yeah. Black black licorice is definitely one of the things that that will pop up in there. Um, sometimes we'll describe, especially the Russian River influenced fruit, as being almost like a cola as well. Oh. A little bit of like an, even a, a mocha or like things a along those lines. A cherry cola, I would give it. Uh, yeah, right on the yeah. right on the mm -hmm. middle on the way down. But you've held on to the acidity. I mean, I just, I seriously love that these wines hold on to their acidity, and it's the same thing as with the uh, the Chardonnay situation. Sounds a little bigger, a little. Uh, holds onto the tongue a little bit more but mm -hmm. it's not a it's not obnoxious like it's uh it's no I, I find this one to have obviously less acidity well not obviously nobody else is tasting it but i find it less acidic than the uh the monterey but it's not flabby it's like not flabby it's not flabby but uh i got a little tobacco on that which i was kind of surprised mm -hmm. on the finish yeah and this is this really is just the terroir. It really is just where the grapes come from that make them so dramatically different. If you look at the stats on these wines, um, you know, numbers don't mean that much, but if you take a look at that, they're really not, on paper, dramatically different. It's really just, you know, where they're grown. We try not to put a lot of winemaking fingerprints all over everything. See, again, I'm, I'm a little partial to the, to the Monterey. I, you know, I always say that if you visit a place, you're more partial to it than if you haven't visited. I've never been to Sonoma. Uh, anywhere in Sonoma, but I've been to Monterey, so I've I would say I like them. I, I like them equally, actually. No, no, I always pick one over the other. It's just part of my mm. nature. I can't do it. You can do it. I can't do you it. You can. No, no, no I you can't. can do it. You can do it, Andre. No, I can't. They're both equally good for different. He has very long reasons. brown lips. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean, they're they're both very good for for different. I didn't uh, say they weren't good. I just said I'm gonna if I had to pick one over the other, then I'm gonna go the Monterey. Both of them, both, both, both versions. There you go. I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> I, I I can never pick when people ask me either. Oh, don't give me can't that. Can't choose a favorite child. You can't yeah, choose a favorite child. I always that. I always cage it with like it depends on what I'm eating, the situation. Come on, you've got you, a favorite you know what? wine, I, I and actually, you know you do. I, I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, anyone who tells you that they can pick a favorite wine or a a favorite grape, they they don't drink enough wine. No, I always tell people that uh, my favorite wine was whatever in the glass. Because if I've kept it in the glass, then then I obviously liked it enough to have it that night or make it a favorite for that moment. And I hate to say it, but that moment after it's done, then I can move on to another favorite of the evening. I always have uh, two wines that it's the it's the wines that you're going to drink, and there's the wine that you drink. And you know, if you're at a party, I'm going to drink that wine till I find a better wine. So. Very practical. Yeah. I mean, oh, okay, that, I can drink that until somebody else has something better that comes along. Yeah? No? Yeah. You're looking at me like I'm... I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm starting to formulate the, the next question. No, what you're saying is, uh, I think that's a, that's a good way to drink wine and look at it. It's just got to make sure, you just got to make sure that you have good wine in your life. It's always a learning experience, yeah. though, as Elizabeth would know. So, Elizabeth, honestly, come on, between, between <laughs> us three, there's nobody else listening. <laughs> Nobody else. Sure. You, you, you make you make so many wines. There's got to be one that you just kind of love to make 
There's got to be some vineyard that you'd love to go into. There's got to be a grape variety. Obviously, you only have two to choose from that you like making just a little bit more than the other. Come on. I Okay, I do have a favorite vineyard, and it is in Anderson Valley. And, uh, and I think, you know, it's definitely partly because the fruit is beautiful and it makes gorgeous wines, but there's also the feel of it. It's, this, it's totally remote. Your cell phone doesn't, you know, it does not work there. You've driven an hour and a half on twisting, turning, you know, practically logging roads to get there. And you are, you are in a safe, serene, beautiful place. It's just you and the raptors kind of. Um, All right. When you're, talking about, you. when you're talking about like uh, birds that eat little birds, not Toronto basketball players. <laughs> you're right. Exactly. Exactly. Or big, or big yeah. No, there, there, our natural pest control in the vineyard is, yeah. is just swirling above me, looking absolutely elegant. So, um, what, what, what but, kind of raptors? What kind of raptors do you have down there? Ones with big teeth. Oh gosh, I can't, I'm not good enough to give you a. You know. It's it's just one of the things that, that is. You know, you, you guys, we, we we got nerdy about clones. I get nerdy yeah. about, about raptors. Like we have. I'm so sorry. I'm not like, good at the birds. I just sort of enjoy their like suddenly, their serene presence. Like suddenly, she's part of the Audubon Society, and and you're asking hey, her kinds of questions. Hey, hey, people, people know what kind of birds are eating the other birds in their vineyards. You go to Irie in in, in Oregon. They have a red-tailed hawk on their bottle, and we got people in Niagara. We got. Louise at Featherstone, who's yeah. using her birds to keep the pest control down. I'm curious about True. it. No, I'm, I'm sorry I'm letting you down. I'm sorry <laughs> right. I'm letting you down. All right, so this vineyard, what do you grow in the vineyard? It's all Pinot Noir. So there you go, Pinot Noir. We got 50, the answer. 59 it, acres of Pinot Noir. She likes Pinot and... Noir better than Chardonnay. I heard, Everybody heard that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I love I, them both. I love yeah, them both. Oh. Pinot Noir demands a lot more attention. I will give you that. It's the heartbreak grape, right? It is a heartbreak grape. You got it. You got it. Now, now I guess um, we've gone through some of the wines here. I guess just kind of real overview. You're in the middle of harvest. What is 2016 going to look like in the bottle? I think it's uh, it's going to be a very pretty year. I think the acids are hanging in really well this year um, because we had that um, bit of a slowdown. We, we kind of got going with the harvest, and then things got cold. Like we were in the 70s for a little bit, which is pretty chilly for us during harvest. We're usually, you know, pretty firmly in the 80s and 90s. But that just stalled everything, which it sounds bad, but it actually just gives things a little more time to hang on the vine and get really, truly ripe. So you've got the nice, you know, the smooth, mature tannins, and you've still got your acid backbone that you can count on. Okay. Yeah, beautiful year. Another beautiful year. As we let her hang there for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> I guess I had a question, but I've lost it. I've got one of those. How are things looking in Niagara? Oh, I haven't had my, my Niagara had, update yet. It's we been had, a crazy hot, dry summer. It, it seems like everywhere on the continent, it's been crazy hot and dry. Uh, we had a bit of rain over the past few weeks, but I don't think anyone is too concerned about the berries swelling we, up yet. We had, uh, be, living in Niagara, I can tell you, we had drought conditions from about middle of May to uh, end of August. And if I can give if I can give a, a shout out to uh, Brian Schmidt of Vineland Estates, if you want to see what's happening in Niagara, follow him on social media. Uh, Bench Wine Guy, I think is what he yeah, is. Yeah, Bench Wine Guy. Yeah, uh, but oh, okay. he had the plant. Like we've had two really crappy winters, so a lot of dead vines people have replanted, and there were multiple videos of of Brian on the tractor with what looked like a giant watering can trying to keep his young vines alive. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That's that's tough. Yeah. Because we don't have a lot of irrigation set up in in Niagara on a permanent set no, permanent status. I know there's people who will irrigate young vines, but I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, and when you've got uh, young vines mixed in, that's a whole other challenge. And you're not getting your natural irrigation. So here I go. I'm going to put uh, Andre on the spot. Okay. You had four wines this evening. Oh, I, I don't even need to finish the question. I'm Monterey Chardonnay. Monterey Chardonnay. But I've actually picked a favorite Pinot Noir now that I've gotten a little bit more into the Sonoma Pinot Noir. I'm really digging the Sonoma Pinot Noir. Wow. And this is the reason why I'm, I'm so happy that we got a chance to, to talk to you. So I can tell you, I went down to Sonoma County last year. I had these winemakers just sort of give me the whole spiel, pour me their Pinot Noirs. And I didn't find one that I fell in love with. And I would... I would be very happy to drink a few bottles of this. Andre would be very happy to go to bed with this one. I would. Yeah, there you go. I'd be happy if I woke up the next morning and there was a, a bottle of that waiting in the bed for me. 
<laughs> to pour on the cereal that you're going to have, the Cap'n Crunch. It's probably a great combination. You don't pour this wine on cereal, Michael. Get your head out of your ass. You just drink it for breakfast. Come on, that's what we do. And add a little bubbles to it. When are we going to see your sparkling wine? There you go. Oh, that's, that's still a few years in the making. Oh, so and it'll be it'll be pretty small production, about three thousand cases. And it's so. tradi- traditional method. I'm okay, so we got yep. three thousand cases. So we three thousand cases. All so right. we know we know that that La Crema makes at least three thousand cases. I would uh, think that's you guys. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in, in all seriousness, that's not that's not an important question. And to be honest, I really do appreciate the philosophy behind not wanting to answer that because there is obviously a lot of care that goes into these wines. They're very good for what they are. Great value for money. Well, I hope Elizabeth will promise to come up uh, at some point, do a little winemaker's dinner or something to like that, and be nice enough to invite us as I <laughs> as I get a kind of a, kind of a um, hashtag shameless plug. Uh, hashtag yep. shameless plug and shameless dinner invite. <laughs> uh, I would love to, and then you can try that uh, that late harvest converts at the end the, of the meal and uh, the sparkling. So you have a yep. few years to you know plan where you want to go. All right, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Elizabeth, I want to thank you very much for the time, taking some time out of Harvest to speak with us and um, virtually taste through the wines. And, you know, I like I said, I know we've kind of teased you, teased you a bit and bugged you about production. Uh, number of cases being made aside, these are great wines, worth checking out. I know I have reviews for a few of them on my site. I know Michael's made a video on some of these wines, so we'll make sure that we link those up when we post this up. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, to speak with us and you know, representing Covey and Canada and making killer wines with a cool climate influence in a very hot place. And I think that's the most important thing that you did come. You came from Canada, so now we're proud of you that you've made it in the U.S. If you had been uh, working at Shadow to Charmin, we wouldn't even be talking to you. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Well, I'm just glad I could bring a little cool climate uh, to California. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to Two Guys Talking Wine this week in our conversation with Elizabeth Grant Douglas. And this may have been our first conversation with a winemaker outside of Ontario, but it certainly won't be our last. No, I think we got a few really good ones lined up, Andre, that I'm very excited about. No teasers yet. I like to have them in the can. Not the winemaker, I mean the, the recordings. And not the wine either that goes in the glass or in my, That's correct. In my mouth. I like to have them in the can before we actually announce who's going to be on. Well, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.